Welcome back into the We Shall Not Sleep podcast. Thank you so much for joining us once again this week. We have a great episode coming to you uh, this week and next week as Dr. Alan Knight from Spring Arbor University will be joining us here on the podcast that will premiere on August 18th. Uh, We're finally going to get back into hopefully a little bit of a rhythm when it comes to uh, recording with with actual people. And I think the following week, I I can't tease it quite yet, but I'm going to have some guys on that I think you'll really enjoy. So please continue to follow us wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's through Apple, your Apple devices, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, where we're hosted. Thank you very much. You can keep up with our Facebook page, and you can email us at wsnspodcast at gmail.com for any sort of feedback, any suggestions and topics, or and just in general, hey, appreciate you. That would that'd mean a lot to me, too. But thank you for continuing to make this worth it. Um, it's something that, you know, as we get into amount of episodes now, it's, it's where you've got to really commit. Uh, it's easy to, to pump out a few uh, first things and get really excited, but this is where the workload really uh, begins. And, you know, being a pastor and holding down another job, it, it can be difficult sometimes. So I really appreciate those who have encouraged this show and continue to listen. I'm, I'm so grateful uh, for that. So one of the things I want to address here and just just a personal note, by the time you're hearing this on Wednesday, I will be a few days away from my ordination service at the Community Church of North Adams. And this is something that the board's doing, and they're ordaining me and giving me the authority to baptize, to induct new members, to administer the sacraments in marriage, as well as funerals, and perform any other pastoral duties that fit in between all of that. And it is a, how do I put it? It's, in a way, it kind of is humiliating, not in the negative sense, but it brings you to your knees in humility because I I can't, I have nothing to offer. And one of the things that I have been, you know, struggling with, I think a lot of pastors maybe do from time to time is the struggle of worthiness of accepting that call. It's the idea that the job is so much bigger than the man, and which it is because it's not about us. It's it's about protecting what God has called, and it's not necessarily just the individual. It's the it's the gifts and talents to reflect the kingdom, because we are here to serve the kingdom, and. If you just need a warm body, God can go out and get another warm body, no problem. So I, as an individual, Michael Crable, has very little to do with the ordination and what I'm doing. I am the person serving, but it's the place. Just like we've always had leaders in the church, that's just what it is. I just happen to be the person that is leading it. And when I look at this ordination service, the thing that is called to attention here in a few days is all things I've ever done wrong in my life. And I, I keep thinking of how am I even worthy of this? And I'm not, I'm not worthy of any of that. We're we, not deserving of anything. I, I don't feel worthy of it at all. And what I want to talk a little bit tonight is about is shame. I, when you think about that particular aspect and how it manifests in our culture, our church culture, all the time. Shame is something that's never from God. It is never from God. Conviction, 
being held accountable, being rebuked, that comes from godly people and from the Holy Spirit convicting you, realizing you've done something wrong. I mean, I I think all of us who are Christians, there was a point where we started on the journey, um, and there's a point, I think, you know, even if you were born again as a as a child, there was a point when your faith became your own, hopefully. And as you began to pray fast, read your scriptures more, be around Christians, be in church, take maybe classes at college, there hopefully was a moment where you found some of your behaviors, whether it was jokes, movies, TV shows, music, general conversations, where maybe looking back, you would like to think like, oh my gosh, I was so immature because God convicted you of them. See, that's conviction when you can look back and say, man, I was very immature in my faith, and I did a lot of stupid stuff, just like a lot of uh, kids do. I mean, that's what, what's what we do. We make mistakes when we're young. We're immature. And hopefully, especially for the Christians that have been walking with the Lord for many years, you can look back over the course of many years and trace the maturation process. Hopefully, hopefully your relationship with Jesus right now is better than it was five years ago or two years ago hopefully last week. There's the ups and downs of life, but when we are convicted about something, it's not a source of shame. It's like, oh, it's a revelation of like, oh, you know what? I don't need to do that anymore. And the reason why I know it's from God is I don't feel ashamed of having done it. It's a realization that the the parent is disciplining and then also teaching the child. It's not shame on you for doing that. Now I got to go pay penance. You're like, you know what? I don't need to watch that show anymore. You know what? I'm done listening to that music. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live to this new standard. I, I never feel shame. But the moments where I feel ashamed, I don't feel deserving of that forgiveness, that's when we spit in the face of God. Because we can be genuinely repentant. We could feel awful. And for the people who have habitual problems with gambling, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, um, sexual abuse, uh, sexual addiction, the people who have uh, committed uh, terrible things and they've done it over and over again, we can feel convicted in the fact that if I was truly sorry, I wouldn't do this again. Because if you accidentally hurt somebody physically and you say sorry, we, we have that phrase in our culture, you know, fool me once, shame on you, know, you fool me twice, shame on you, fool me three times, that's, you know, that's on me um, in a way. Um, I think oh, some people do fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Some people keep granting that mercy, right? And they just keep getting abused again. Well, are we truly sorry? You know, as, as kids, if, if you're listening to this, if you can remember when you were a kid, when you actively disobeyed your mom or your dad, or when you, you know, back talked or you smart mouthed or, or maybe you said a bad word and you said sorry, and then you did it the same day again. I, I just remember that from my mom. Like, if you were sorry, your behavior would change. It's your actions. Your words mean nothing. And so I think some of us, we can feel that conviction that our, our actions aren't lining up with our words. But sometimes people do things and we're genuinely repentant. But then we don't feel as if we are deserving of it. And that's when shame comes in, is when we do not accept the grace that God has bestowed upon us. And when we can't forgive ourselves, if Jesus can forgive us and we can't forgive ourselves, you wonder why shame is allowed to fester in our lives. Or when we're going to get an award or we're going to go through something, Satan will poke at you saying, you don't deserve this. You're not worthy of this. What are you doing? This accolade, they don't know the real you. If they knew all the stuff that I knew about you and that you know about yourself, 
They would never give you that award. And we'd stop seeing ourselves as forgiven, as being called, as if God would call us to the precipice just to say, you know what? No, actually, I was wrong. I, I didn't call you for this. I was just, it was just, just an obedient, obedient process, and that's it, right? Now, now, maybe that might be your journey. Maybe that just the obedience, but to take you up to a precipice and then to knock you down off of it, that's a little bit different. Stepping out in faith, seeing if you're obedient, I've heard those stories over the course of my life many times. But those stories are don't end up with the shame and at the detriment of the individual because they're obedient to God. They don't end up in the kingdom of God being wasted. You know, we, we have expectations, I think, as, as humans about what's deserved and what we feel entitled to. That's that's a different conversation. But when we're stepping out in God and in faith and trusting our lives with God. Sometimes that's going to cause us physical pain. It'll cause us discomfort. But we as Christians expect that. At least, of course, if we trust and read our Bibles. Well, as I prepare for this ordination service, it's just something that I've been not necessarily struggling with. It's just something I've had to, had to remind myself that this is something God's called me to. Now, I can waste that. I absolutely can waste that and violate that call and that covenant for sure. However, if you're obedient to God, you're being submissive to God, then those things, that shame, can be easily fought against, can be easily fought off and fought against. But that doesn't mean that it's easy to get to that point. You could recognize Satan's lies for what they are, lies. Doesn't mean it's arrogance, it's confidence, it's knowing who you are, especially if you are authentic before God, bearing yourself wide open. And when we all get to heaven someday, any qualifications are going to be thrown out the window. It's like, I don't have any qualifications. I'm here because of your grace, because you chose to create us, and then you saved us from the pit of hell. You saved us by the shedding of your son's blood. That's it. That's what qualifies me. And it's something that you've done, not that I do. And we understand how like unimportant we are in a way. Life isn't about us. It's not about what I can get out of life. It's more about what we add to the lives of others. And if our whole entire purpose here is to serve God and serve him only, We've got to continue to ask ourselves, how do we serve God in this situation? Because shame becomes about you still. It's self-loathing, it's pitying, it's self-sorrow. You get caught in a bad mental state and you start thinking these circular things. You're just in this reasoning that, again, is all about you. And it takes away from the point that other people have seen the qualifications in you and that God has called you as, as a creation good. You see how it can so quickly turn about what we want. It can turn to that so quickly about what my life is like, how I feel, and how I don't feel worthy. There's a lot of personal pronouns there. And in that moment, we truly do spit in the face of God. And so my my encouraging note to you will be from the scripture passage we read, my favorite in all of the Bible, but also this innate understanding that 
the sins of our past, God is forgiven if we are repentant. And if we're struggling to forgive ourselves because of that, we're still allowing that shame to poke at those scabs. It's about us. It's not about what God wants. It's not about how God sees us. We end up spitting in the face of God when we reject that forgiveness for ourselves. Because of the God of the universe who knows everything, if he can forgive us, why can't we do it ourselves? Why don't we have that trust and see ourselves as forgiven? And so shame no longer is about us. It's something that we deal with. It's going to sting some days. It's going to be difficult maybe on some days to fight it off more than others. But it gets easier when you see yourself as justified by the blood of Christ, knowing that you had nothing to do with it and that when you can get down to your knees and repent and be sorrowful and lament and say, Father, please help me deal with this. Help me to overcome. I, I feel shame once again of my awful, awful sin. You know, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Or how we sing in our Catholic brothers and sisters, uh, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison. It's about posture. It's about motive. So if you're dealing with shame tonight, if you've been repentant, you have been forgiven. Now, I don't know your personal story. I don't know your motive. Maybe you're just doing the repentance thing because that's what you're supposed to do. You're making yourself feel better. Then, yeah, that's not true repentance. It comes from the soul. It isn't like, well, I guess I'll go to confession. That's just another thing on paper. Well, that's about motive at that point, right? You got to check yourself before you come to God. Check yourself. Where is your motive? And I don't mean that in saying you have to fix yourself. No, no, no. I'm talking about what's your motive. Again, if God was your, your spouse and you only go to them or you're doing it out of obligation because you kind of feel bad but don't or you only go to them when you need them, that's not a healthy relationship, right? Why would that person respond genuinely? Now, God's bigger than humans. He's not petty like humans. He doesn't hold grudges like humans. He responds as a loving Heavenly Father who's going to hold his children accountable for sure. He's going to convict them when they're doing something wrong, but he's never going to shame them. You notice that's what Jesus never did that. He never shamed people. Never The woman at, well, at the well caught in adultery. Oh, shame on you, you terrible human being. Like, I don't understand how you can live with yourself. No. The woman caught in adultery. Ye he here without sin cast the first stone. Not, oh, you know what? She deserves it. Shame on you for doing that. Nope. His mercy tells the thief on the cross, he'll be with me in paradise. He doesn't, he doesn't say, you got what was coming to you. No. Jesus held the sin. He didn't dismiss the sin. But he never shamed people for it. If anything, he spoke right to their convictions and spoke the truth to them. And if we as Christians, we are not also to, to turn that shame and then shame others. Shame on you. Rebuking somebody is a lot different than shaming them. Now, again, in our English-speaking country here in the United States, there's not enough words, so we use the same word in many different contexts. So we'll say shame on you for doing that. It's kind of a way of saying I'm very disappointed in, in why you did that. Like, you know, you know better, kid or child. I am ashamed of that because I raised you better. That kind of 
conveys disappointment. I mean, I that's the one thing you never wanted to hear from your dad growing up as a son. I'm very disappointed. I mean, all oh, those words just cut deep. You might as well just tell me you're angry at me. Don't tell me you're disappointed. That That is what's really difficult. So with, with that being said, as I basically talk this topic to death, let me read this from you, uh, for you, from 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to read from the NASB 1995 translation. I'll read this chapter in its entirety. It's not very long. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father and was manifested to us. He's establishing credibility here, the, the writer. What we have seen and, and, and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. See, all the things we're writing to you here, because we've seen this, we can testify to it. It's so that you can have a relationship with us as other Christians who have relationship with the Father and His Son, Christ. It's, that's the end motive, so you can have a relationship with us and with the Father. It says, these things we write to you so that our joy may be made complete, which echoes a very similar passage in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. At the end of that, um, the writer, or gospel writer John, John, says that, in quoting Jesus, is that I'm telling you all these things, you know, I'm the vine, and my Father is the gardener who prunes things and you are the branches, if you're connected to me, remain in me as I remain in him, then I say this to you so your joy might be complete. Kind of echoing the same stuff here. I'll continue here in verse 5, which is so beautiful, such a beautiful language. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we do not have sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What a humbling passage. A lot of theology here in very short passages and only 10 verses. I mean, it's not even very long. Well, a couple hundred words. It's an acknowledgement that humanity, we're flawed people. We're sinful people. We all have sinned. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There it is. If we confess our sins, conditional. He is loyal. He's faithful to that. And his righteousness to forgive us the, that divinity purifies us from all unrighteousness. I hope you can take that and run with that. Run wild with that, with your faith walk with God. Take that faith walk into a faith run and have the time of your life. And as always, may God bless you and may God keep you.